Welcome to What Is It About the Weather, a podcast where we explore the many ways that weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelinek. And last week, you know, we got into a topic that I like getting back to from time to time, looking at historical events, looking at the weather around those and seeing if weather may have reshaped history as it will. Now, this time around, we're going to do it from a different perspective. It's more about, did you maybe think about the weather before you did that? And the funny thing is, is in some ways it did kind of change history in retrospect and looking at it as I went through the story investigation for this one. But it's more about what, what I like about the ones that we're going to do today is it's more about common sense. Now, I've always been one. I, I've, over the years, I've tried to become more patient. You know, that, that can be a struggle for a lot of us. But I still kind of shake my head at a minimum and maybe a little bit more when I look at things and I go, what were you thinking? You know, did you even ponder the evidence around you? And in this case, we're going to do it from a weather perspective. But before we do that, I'm going to, I had to close the window today and I got to do that when I record because there's some construction going on near me and I don't want you guys to be blared to death with all these external sounds, but you may hear the fan in the background and it's just one of those things because it's warm and hopefully the cold front that's supposed to push through tonight will cool things off. But you know, it is summertime, I guess it's, it's inevitable. Time to turn on the air conditioning and deal with that. You know, anybody who's listened to me for a while knows I spent many years in Santiago. And those who deal with dry, you know, I get that question a lot of times. What is dry heat? Well, I can tell you the difference between dry heat and what I'm experiencing now is how much your shirt weighs when you take it off compared to when you put it on. So if your shirt weighs more, you're probably not in a dry heat zone. And every time I'm taking off shirts lately, they all weigh more because I'm sweating. So alas, summertime, there's good and bad with that, of course. You guys know I tend to like it a little cold, but you know the benefits of summer, the things you can do, you can't pull off in the wintertime. Trade-off that I explore and try to make the best of. Now, how did we get to this episode? How did we get to the idea of, <laughs> did maybe you think about the weather? Previously, we did one, and I'll put a link in the show notes that was, I don't know, back in fall of 2017, probably. May have been a little after that. It's episode 74, I think. But again, check the show notes. The link will be there. And it was entitled, Did You Think About the Weather Before You Did That? Now, we're going to tweak the title this time so it doesn't look exactly the same, but like I said, I may get to this a little more often. It may be kind of a recurring event. That one focused on the implosion of the old Dome Stadium in Atlanta and also talked about a nuclear waste processing facility in Russia and, and just things that could happen that make those not-so-good locations for where those things are, or or maybe the location is just fine, but you should have thought about the day you were doing certain things and the implications of it. Now, this one, this example, let, let me let me put a little context around this. So I went out for a climb. As, as you guys know, one of the ways I've been trying to deal with our current new normal is to get out on the weekends and hike. And I try to get to places where there's not a lot of people. Um, had some challenges with that. But as more things are opening, and now beaches are opening, more people are doing things that they would traditionally do in the summertime. But I've tried to go far away to get away from the crowds. 
And so I thought I'd do a climb, do a climb in the Adirondack Mountains, not too far from me. And it allows avoiding a lot of people interaction. But even as I was going to do a climb, there's certain things that are open, certain things that aren't. So there was a, a shorter climb I was going to do. And it was a little more of a, of a well-defined path. But in, in upstate New York, in the Adirondacks specifically, they have a group of, of peaks called the 46ers. Now, this is mountains that are over 4,000 feet. Now, some of them have been found out to not be above 4,000 feet over time when they've been resurveyed. But nonetheless, they've kind of kept this list, if you will. All right. And so you can go around and do these mountains. And they each have, you know, some of them are easy to get to, some of them aren't. This one was a fairly easy to get to. It's not a, it wasn't an easy climb, but, but got the hike shorter. The first, what I would call truly vertically challenging hike of, of past few months. I had done a sister mountain right near it in the fall, Whiteface Mountain, which many of you may know by name because it's a, it's a famous ski area that features in the 1980 Olympics. But this mountain's a little shorter. It's called Esther Mountain, and had to deviate from that because the road to where the trail was going to start wasn't open yet, so couldn't go in there. So I had to back out and find another entrance. Another entrance was found, and one of the first things that caught my attention was a nice building, kind of a base building. Seemed kind of odd for the trail head starting, and we'll get back to that building, but just remember that. Then the, the next thing that was odd is the first kind of mile of this trail. So it was about, let's say, a little over three and a half miles up. First mile or so was oddly straight and steep. I mean, really, really just dead on to straight uphill. And you don't see that often. You know, I use a, an app called All Trails for when I'm doing my hiking. And it's, you know, it's got a nice, I don't know, repository of, of trail options available to you that pre people have previously done a lot of times. And they have marked trails in there as well, but that people have created a route, if you will, and stored it and shared it. But oddly steep. I mean, you know, 20 plus degree slope on this thing. And the other thing that was odd as I was going up this mountain is these concrete barriers. So I knew there had to have been some structure and you could see little metal, what looked like to be the, the bottom of um, metal, you know, large metal nuts that had been cut off. Right, so clearly something had stood on this base, and in looking at them, these these concrete pads, if you will, were on either side of the trail of this straight up thing. So I knew it had to have been some structure, and but it's the pads were really small. I thought maybe it was associated with skiing because you know white faces just around the corner, but still seems small. But maybe some other sort of communication, maybe maybe even like a it had been a tower for a telephone line or something like that. Who knew? Who knew? Had my attention, but soon thereafter, as my weather would change, uh, I turned into snow and ice. Now, it wasn't snowing per se, but there had been, it had been a mild winter, so I really hadn't expected to run into these conditions. But the trail started getting snowy and icy, and it was more because of I had these, and you've heard me mention it in some of my previous episodes, I'd run into some snow. So these events had hit there and kind of dumped some late season snow and ice in the region, all right? So here we are dealing with the snow and ice. And so for the next couple of miles, that was the focus. And so, I, I, you know, again, my attention was pulled away from this area. But it would come back because this trail was an out and back. So I had to hike back down what I'd hiked up. And it just seemed like 
Okay, there's something more to this. So I did a quick search, sitting in the car, getting some things, you know, downloading, uploading, all that kind of stuff as I'm cooling off. And my research assistant was doing some investigation, and she came across some information that talked about this area. Now, I, I had done, maybe it was a ski area or something, but my, my searches didn't come back with anything obvious. She found a great article, and I, again, will put a link in the show notes, and it says, How New York Lost Its Marble. Well, this little mountain and the top of it is called Marble Mountain. And this article laid out the whole history, so it's all right there. And so we're going to talk about it a little bit and talk about it from a weather perspective. But I also came across a book. There's a whole book about lost ski areas of the Anirondack Mountains. And I'll put a link in there. If you're uh, Kindle Unlimited, you can actually read this book for free. And they actually have a whole series of lost things, like lost schooners of Maine and lost, I don't know, other things. It was interesting. And it's I guess it's also sad that people spend this much time writing about lost things. But the short information is this was the it's called the largest ski area in the eastern u.s that was ever abandoned right that was the premise of the article now i think largest they just mean geographically i don't i don't know that it's in quantity of you know people that can be moved or anything like that but let's put some context around this situation so this area lake placid hosted the 1932 olympics winter olympics so that area was not new to winter sports, if you will. And not surprisingly, there would have been lots of things to do outdoor-wise there. But in 1932, there weren't yet alpine ski events in the Olympics. Those did not come until 36. So the area didn't have, when it first hosted the Olympics, didn't have a downhill ski area, which is something I, I, I found out about earlier this year when I happened to be up there in the wintertime and went through the museum, but it hadn't really you know, hit me until then that how odd that seemed because I've always thought of Whiteface white as this famous mountain, right? This well-known mountain that just is kind of iconic to me with, with the Olympics in 1980. Also because I've skied it before and I've hiked in the area, I've fished in the area, you know, so it was just something I had always assumed had somehow sort of been there. But in the 1930s, alpine skiing was really catching on, and it was big in other parts of New England, in New Hampshire and Vermont. And in keeping up with the Joneses, if you will, New York was looking for a similar location to make a premier ski area that was going to be run by the state. Okay? And... Decision was made to, to move forward with this. And then a month later, the U.S. would enter World War II. So, of course, it got delayed. Not surprisingly. But as things got back to normal in the U.S., a highway was built. It was decided was going to be built to the top of the Whiteface Mountain. But a ski area was going to be built off that. And different areas were considered. Ultimately, one was selected called Marble Mountain. Alas, right where I was, and a T-bar lift. Those who don't know, T-bar is just the kind where you kind of sit on a little bit. You're still skiing, but it pulls you up the mountain. Not my favorite. 
but pretty common back then. And it was launched or it was completed in 1948, late 48, and the first people would ski on it in 1949. But soon thereafter, the thing was already not making money, right? Losing money, actually. Didn't seem to do real well. And the lodge ultimately burnt down a couple years later. Yeah, it's like it's telling you, hmm, maybe something was wrong here. What, what went wrong? There was also complaints that it was too steep. And the terrain there is pretty steep. I mean, there are areas, and I think they've done it in the redefined wide face, where there are some more gentle slopes. But just based on what I was hiking up, you know, it's pretty steep terrain. Great for some people. Not everybody likes that. And in a sport that you're kind of, that's still sort of new at the time, may not have been the one that would draw people in, kind of as a getaway, if you will. Some that may not have been as sophisticated or may have been a little, you know, less grandiose close by in some of these other lost ski areas of the Adirondacks, but a little more accessible. But was that really the problem? Was that really why it wasn't doing well? Was because of the steep terrain or the difficulty getting to it? And it seems maybe, maybe not. All right. So Whiteface, and it faces this problem still now, is what's considered a crest peak or crest mountain, if you will, is it stands alone in the area. So it's not part of a lot of other peaks close by. Now, I mentioned those 46ers. And you got to understand, Adirondack's a huge, the Adirondack area is a huge area in upstate New York. All right. Millions of acres of land. So this peak kind of stands alone, and that makes it prone to certain types of wind challenges, particularly depending on which way the predominant winds are in the wintertime and how strongly they blow, you know, what, what's the weather conditions like in the wintertime. High winds here, folks, and nothing to, when you have multiple peaks, things can kind of swirl around or get dissipated in different ways. So if even if the winds come from a direction, if you go to an interior peak, you can kind of protect it from the strongest winds. Maybe not at the very top, but a lot of the slope on the side of the mountain can be protected from the strongest winds being kind of a constant blow. And anybody who's ever skied knows one of the worst things about skiing can be the high winds or anytime you deal with high winds. Just it's cold to begin with, doesn't make it very comfortable. But the other challenge was that the way the winds were blowing and the way this slope faced, the snow was constantly getting scrubbed off the mountain. And you got to remember back in these days, there was no really snow making, so you had to count on what nature brought you. Now this region, like it experienced this year, can end up with winters that aren't particularly good snow years. You know, some places are very natural to have just lots of snow that you can count on most years. Not every year, but most years. But the combination of bad snow and brutal winds straight up over time would ultimately lead to the, them going, okay, we need to move this over to where the current white face is. Better setup. Wind's not quite as bad. Okay, so you keep more of the snow. Winds are less prominent. And there was some other things involved with that to qualify for a, a Olympic type run the elevation change had to be a certain amount. And this mountain was never going to give them that. The, the weird thing is they knew that when they built this place. So this part I don't understand. Maybe they thought that it wouldn't matter. Maybe they thought they would never host the Olympics again. Maybe they thought that 
the ski area would grow over time and they could just add that other area. You know, a lot of thoughts there. But if they'd taken the time to think about the weather, would they have really built the facility there? Now, in this modern era, we have all these tools to explore. But even in reading the article, it's kind of like people knew that that could be a problem. And so I, I, you know, it leaves yourself shaking your head. And we see this all the time. That a lot of things are invested in and then people after the fact go, yeah, maybe we really shouldn't have done that. So I don't know what was the preface behind why they would, in the end, choose that. And I'm sure, as with all things, there were underlying politics or power plays involved as to why that location was selected. But in the end of the day, <laughs> the weather, and maybe not just the weather, or the, the wrong kind of weather, and the fact that it was losing money would result ultimately, as I said, in them moving the ski area. And, and, and I'm, I'm not kidding you. It's just to another face of the, essentially the same mountain. These, this marble mountain is considered actually part of the white face peak, if you will. So it's just kind of a temporary peak going up to the full white face. What? I, again, I, I just scratch my head. Why would you do that? Maybe, though, in fairness, they didn't really look at the weather with as much detail back then. They took it at kind of face value. And yeah, they knew it would be windy, but they may say, ah, it's windy up here in general. Eh, it's, there's good years, snow years and bad years. Maybe they didn't put the science into it. So I'm going to cut them a little bit of slack. But it still seems like an odd thing to do, to build and invest all the money they put wasn't quite a million dollars, I think, back then. It's like 800 and something thousand to build this thing and get it off the ground. But in the 40s, 1940s, that was a lot of money, right? For something that wouldn't essentially last 10 years? Eh, what do you know? Now, an interesting thing that would come out of that, however, is there was a building, this, this lodge I told you about that burnt down, all right? And they built a new lodge and that building's still there. And that's what threw me off when I got up here. Why it seemed to be more prominent than just a hiking parking lot, if you will. And when I was hiking on the trail, the trail comes back and it's a connection of trails. And, and actually some of the old ski slopes you can use for mountain biking, which I thought was kind of neat. But there's a sign that says 0.9 miles. And this is that last stretch that's, you know, essentially straight downhill to the, what I thought at first, my, my brain saw ARSC. Okay. And I would thought, I was thinking maybe that's Adirondack region sports complex or something. Maybe that's what that building was, had something to do with that. So maybe I had, you know, temporary dyslexia sort of situation where I, I just transposed those two letters, but what it really stood for was Atmospheric Science Research Center, so ASRC. Interesting enough, right? Well, apparently this outpost is an outpost that's part of the state of New York's Atmospheric Science Research Center, including there's also a little facility on the top of Whiteface itself. It's a nice building, and so they've used, they took over the lodge as a science facility. But what's interesting about the lodge in particular is it demonstrates the exact problem this 
area has. And there's a picture in the article. So if you go to the article of this tree and all the limbs are, are pointing in a direction that demonstrates how bad the winds would be on this slope. So the indicators had to be there. Now this is prominent because this tree stands right by this building. And so it's kind of isolated and you may not think of it individually when you're, you know, when you're looking at a bunch of trees, but it's just a reminder of how bad the weather was in this area. Now it's not always weather that makes people do stupid things like this. I, I hiked up a volcano in Chile called Volcan Villarica and it's in, you know, mid Southern part of Chile. And I'll, I'll use a picture from this because I think I have a picture of the abandoned ski lift that where a volcano, lava flow from a volcano took out a ski resort. Now, they still have some skiing on this mountain. It's further down the mountain, but they had had this, you know, they wanted to invest in getting it further up the mountain. And they built this nice top of a you know lift area for people to get off. And you can see where the lava flow just came through it. Now, it's been a long time since that happened. But in the past few years, after I hiked up, there were, again, an eruption, a couple of eruptions, but one major eruption that, you know, brought lava flow down. And it's, and it's sort of wild. There was a picture on the wall where I stay that showed the one that, that ate the ski lift of how the lava flowed down this mountain into the lake. This is a beautiful kind of summer retreat area called, um, it's, there's two little towns. One's called Villarica. The other one's Pucón, which is kind of more of the touristy town, if you will. So, you know, mother nature does remind us it's whether it's the weather or whether it's, you know, burning lava from inside the earth. There's, there's different ways to uh, neutralize ski areas that we might erect. All right, before I close, I want to cover an administrative item. For those of you who are kindly supporting the podcast on Patreon, just know Patreon is going to start charging sales tax in June. It's something they have to do based on different legislation that's been passed in state. So just know that that's going to start happening. So it might change the dollar amount of what you're charged. So if you need to change your pledge or whatever, understand that that's going to be going on contact you can always reach the podcast at what is about the weather at gmail.com you can follow on twitter uh, maybe i'll put some the, those links in the show notes for those of you who haven't done well you can also follow me on on twitter and instagram as well for those that want to do that i do post weather pictures on instagram from time to time they're not all everything i post but you know sometimes that comes and goes it just depends on on the weather being available f- to make it interesting but as we all know right that your weather, my weather. Some days it may seem boring. Some days it may seem more dynamic and interesting. But as we all know, there's much more to weather than the weather itself. <laughs>